Hello there! This show contains material which a truly free society would neither fear nor suppress. The language and concepts contained herein will not cause eternal torment in the place where the guy with the horns and pointed stick conducts his business. Hello all. What's up? We're back. We're fashionably in. Well, some of us are in. What did I steal that from? You're totally out, though. <laughs> We're back. We're fashionably... I don't know. I stole it from something. I've admitted this to several people, and I'm going to admit this on air. Yes. I've been watching a lot of Project Runway. Uh, you were talking about that last week, actually. Yeah, and the, the tagline that, kind of like you know uh, Donald Trump in his show, he says, You're fired! Mm-hmm. In that show, Heidi Klum says, You're out! Well, okay then. You know, in, in fashion, you're either in or out. Yeah. You're out! And she Heidi. has a shrill voice. Yeah? Yeah. Doesn't match her look? Yeah, she's kind of shrill looking, too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I got a friend who was really into the Heidi Klum thing. I can't remember what she looks like, so. She looks like a model. Well, all right then. And that's not about modeling, though. That show's about the designers, right? Yes, exactly. That actually might be interesting. I don't know. And and that's what I'm I'm liking about the show. Talented people. It's not just about who can be the meanest. Although there is some of that, too. <laughs> <laughs> it scares me a little that you watch it, to be honest. But, you know. There's also that, uh, I think it's on Bravo, Top Chef. Same deal. People who are uh, professional chefferies. Does it have a British guy yelling at them? No, there's no British guy yelling at them. But oh. I think, uh, what's her what's her name? Uh, Paula Abdul. She dances every once in a while. Does she? Yeah. Straight up, man. <laughs> so, you know, it's been a while, but there is Tour de France news. Is this like a, a rerun? No. Or Raj? We're not rerunning anything, Dwayne Wayne. <laughs> but uh, in about a month, there haven't been any new posts on the FloydLandis.com blog. And he finally posted something. I guess they've spent the last month looking over the 400-page document that describes the testing procedures for the testing that is relevant to his PP. <laughs> um, did he say, okay, fine, okay, I did it? No, but apparently they think they've got a smoking gun. You can go to floydlandis.com and see what they said. I don't want to He's got a it. smoking gun? <laughs> he does, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we all know how painful that can be. But um boom This is going bad places. It's going nowhere fast, but making good time. So apparently they think they've got a case, and apparently they think their case is so strong that they they don't even think they need to appeal. They think they can immediately call for a dismissal of the charges because they think their case is that strong. Of course, I haven't seen their case, but, you know, I guess... Uh, well, every pre- lawyer would say that. Yeah. Does it depend on the definition of is? Well, it depends on the definition of the. <laughs> <laughs> the, the. The, the. No cigars involved either. But, you know, I don't know. You know, jeez, it's hard to say what to think. I tend to think the guy didn't do it, so we'll see what happens, you know. I say flip a coin. We'll never know. Well, you know, Americans win the Tour de France eight years in a row. Who knows? I think he's just a patsy. (laughs) It's a frame job. We need Columbo or Matlock or something in here. Oh, one more thing. What? (laughs) Um... That was Columbo's great technique. He'd leave and yeah. then come back in with that one killer question. 
Didn't you tell me that there's a, a sales technique like that? The Colombo close, yeah. <laughs> You're the, about to hang up on someone and they say, oh, just let me ask you one more yeah, thing. Yeah, it, and it applies to door-to-door salesmen too. Uh, we have a sales office where I work and they listen to a lot of the sales tapes from the gurus, you know, guys like Zig Ziglar and Tom, uh, I can't remember their names to be honest with you. but Collins. Uh, Tom... Jim Collins, I don't know. There's Gordon. a Tom. There's a famous Tom. He was a real estate guy, and he talks about the different kind of clothes there are. And there's actually a local leather store where I've seen the cookie clothes applied to a friend of ours who thinks there's no culture in Italy. And uh, he went to buy a leather coat. Leather. Leather. And the girl did the cookie clothes, which is put the person on hold, eat a cookie, tell him you're going to go talk to your boss. I'll be back in a second. Okay, he agreed to do it for you, but only if you buy now. You know, one of those deals. I remember Scott, when I was with him, you know the leather store I'm talking about too, right? Thank you very much. That, That store has been around for at least, I don't know, forever. Yeah, Charlie's the name of the guy who, uh, who who owns and runs it. And I remember uh, one of the girls who worked there, Scott went to buy this leather jacket, and um, the girl did the cookie clothes on him. Well, I'll go ask the boss if I can sell it at that price. And she came back, well, if you buy it right now, I can sell it to you at that price. And, of course, she went in the back and had a cookie. You know, that's why they call it the cookie clothes, because she was the store manager, and I'm sure Charlie wasn't even around. But anyway. They do that at car dealerships all the time. I have yeah. to talk to my manager. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually, you know, sort of... Why I like the Saturn business model. Yeah, the car has a price. Yeah, the car has a price, and here's what we're making, and their salespeople are reasonable and all that good stuff. Yeah, I I always like merchandise that has a price, not just a suggested retail value. Right, right. I don't know. I'm trying to think if I had anything else for the intro. I'm struggling. Well, that's nothing new. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got done watching the Rome... Some sort of mini series on HBO. Now you and I'll talk about that show in the future. <laughs> I don't know, future past. I get all confused with these tenses. And they're really funny. It's like we have a time traveling machine. You and I. That's right. Good show that. It's called and, an editor. Uh, yeah. And the the funny thing is, if you listen to the future show where we talk about Rome, I'll say I've only seen episodes one through five, and suddenly on this show, which is before the show we're going to air that on, I've seen them all. And, you know, I just wanted to say I'm, I'm a little bit shocked. Didn't see it coming. They killed Julius Caesar. Brutus was involved, I think. Yeah. Who knew? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. They actually killed the guy. Right on the Senate floor. Couldn't believe it. Stabbed him 23 times. Two think, in, twice in the face. I think like in uh, Southeast Asia, they do that kind of thing. If, if a senator or a uh, member of parliament says something someone doesn't like, they get brutal. I mean, they actually have brawls. Well, that was quite common on the Rome Senate floor, too. I mean, fights would break out all the time, and uh, it would come to fisticuffs. Fisticuffs. Yeah, you know, and we got to see uh, we got to see Cleopatra in this one, and I'm going to say the joke I've said a million times. I don't know how they got Courtney Love to play her, but <laughs> right. they did. She was kind of crack whorish. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, probably a more realistic depiction than the the famous Liz Taylor one that we're all so used to, you know? The glamorized, Hollywoodized version of uh, Cleopatra. Yeah, and Richard Burton shows up with his toga. (laughs) Toga, toga. Anyway, great show. We'll talk about that in the future. So you want to jump right into a tune? Yeah, we've got some tunage. This uh, This one's different. It's like gypsy klezmer music. Yeah, I think there's... Uh, people from Romania, Lithuania, half Japanese accordionists, all sorts of craziness. The band's called Ramashka, and the tune is, um, oh wow, I don't even know how to pronounce that. La Circuima de la Drum. I don't know what that means, but let's check it out. (laughs) 
să verdem de adun la cârciumă de la drum La cârciumă cu te rătește vrei, nu vrei Să vezi o cârcium roasă, frumușică și spacoasă song kind of makes me want to eat caviar on a blinny and drink a little vodka. You know what I'm talking about? Well, it was amazing. During that song, like, this whole crowd rushed in. They picked me up. I was on a chair. We were breaking <laughs> bottles. Throwing plates. Throwing <laughs> plates. We were dancing and kicking ourselves in the Men head. dancing with men. Cats and dogs <laughs> living together. I love ethnic music. I really do. All I, of that. It's such flavor. Just like all kinds of ethnic foods have flavor, all kinds of ethnic musics have music. flavor. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I totally destroyed the name of the the song. And I heard them say it in the in the lyrics this time. It was La Kirchuma de la Drum. Something about the circle of the drum, I bet. Something like that. Yeah, so that would be my guess. It means the egg of the potato. <laughs> well, it's not commonly known, but that beer, Dos Equis, it actually means dueling toolboxes. That's one thing I learned years ago. I don't know what that means, but it's a joke I used to say in the uh, in the late 90s. Because we'd always give some friends of mine and I would go to these bars when I thought it was okay to drink beer. And we would order Dos Equis with a lime. Back in the 80s when you and Philip Michael Thomas were hanging out in Miami. Yep, yep, wearing T-shirts and suit coats. And I had an alligator on a boat. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> Drove a Ferrari. It was pretty cool, actually. The chicks really dug us. Your soundtrack was great, though. Well, when you got guys from Mahavishnu Orchestra in your band, you know, how can you go wrong? Yeah, it was all about style. There's about ten guys out there in the world who are getting that <laughs> reference, if that. So I don't know. We don't really have a topic, so we're going to talk about three. Well, before Heidi Klum. Be- no, we're not going to talk about her anymore. She's done. She's Heidi- out. Heidi Klum. <laughs> no, it, we're going to be releasing this show on September 11th. We, that's right. We are the fifth anniversary of the uh, horrible attacks on and it's, it's the United an, States. It's now a day called Patriot Day, according to my calendar. Patriot Day. Yeah, it's a holiday. It's called Patriot Day. It's bold faced on my desk calendar. Oh, I didn't know that. And they it says named Patriot it. Day. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. That whole uh, double speak thing. I would rather just uh, honor the people who were killed that Remembrance day. Remembrance Day. How about something yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah, something that's more accurate. <laughs> right. Anyways, um, I don't want to denigrate anyone here or, or tick people off who uh, are patriots and think that it should be called Patriot Day, but well, I just wanted to remind people that that's what day it is. And um, there are some odd things going on with, uh, with the uh, September 11th anniversary. And the way that the government sort of... It's uh, not falling on September 11th? No, no, no. No, I'm just saying the way that the, the government's sort of kicking up some rhetoric. And I think that you're going to be t- talking about some of that. Well, they've been kicking up rhetoric for years. I mean, you know, they got the whole Patriot Act passed because of 9-11, you know. And, well, that was soon after. I mean, like right afterwards. And it's amazing because it was like this 10,000-page document, mm-hmm. and it got written in like two weeks. I don't think so. You know, this this was on a shelf. You know, a bunch of these uh, conservative think tanks had already thought that through, and uh, they'd been waiting for the right opportunity, you know, to un- unleash that thing on America, and they got away with it, you know? Well, Just a lot like, of that stuff has been that way. I mean, the, the whole doctrine of preemption has been sitting around since the 80s, so. Well, and, and Republicans, of course, are not alone in this using horrible events to further an agenda, because Clinton did the same thing after the yep. attacks on uh, Oklahoma City. You know, he passed a bunch of legislation that really eroded civil rights and stuff like that, too. I'm not sure which way we were going with this conversation, but no, uh, I'm just seeing that there's a there's a lot of um, I don't know. Bush came out and was talking about how he's sort of diverting attention. Well, he's not talking about how he's diverting attention, but he's trying to divert attention away from from some of the stuff that's been going on, pulling the the um, the prisoners out of these secret prisons. Did you hear about this? Yeah, and now they're being brought to Guantanamo. Yeah, and he's ignoring federal law or recent Supreme Court decisions, and it looks like they're going to be going forward with the military tribunals anyway. Yeah. You know, this is an administration that really thinks it's above the law, and I don't think anyone's above the law. And, uh, geez, I hope uh, the Supreme Court does a little smackdown on him, you know? But it just scares the heck out of me to think that there are secret prisons out there. I mean, you can say, oh, these are enemy combatants or or whatever you want to call them, but, I mean, if— if you have the executive branch putting together secret prisons that fall outside of the jurisdiction of 
any kind of judiciary in this country, well, what's the next step? It can be brought upon uh, civilians. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that classic uh, cliche. It's a slippery slope, you know? Yeah, and this one's really slippery. And then the other thing that's going on September 11th, they're going to be releasing, well, tomorrow. We're recording on Saturday, so tomorrow is Sunday, but you're going to be hearing this on Monday. I think. Well, hopefully somebody will be hearing somebody it Somebody will Monday. be hearing it on Monday. Perhaps the, nobody will be hearing it on Monday. The past, it's sort of like if you record a podcast and no one listens, does it exist, you know? Well, I'm listening. <laughs> no, you don't listen to the show. We already determined that last week. But the the ABC television show, the drama, The Path to 9-11. Yeah, that's a real uh, sort of critical look at the Clinton administration and blaming it on them. And it's so ridiculous because if you look at any of the Bush administration's pre-9-11 sort of outline for their foreign policy, anti-terrorism wasn't mentioned in there once. Well, I mean, that's the thing. We're all complacent. I mean, everyone's to blame for for the complacency. I don't think that you can point fingers in any direction and, and be perfectly accurate that way. And and yeah, there are some, some people saying that, that this was, uh, you know, there are a lot of inaccuracies specifically in this drama about the path to 9-11 about the Clinton administration. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the biggest cop-out is ABC saying, well, it's not a documentary. You know, we're, we're trying to, you know, piece together these conversations. Look, this is recent history. This isn't like someone putting together, you know, Civil War events and trying to trying to fill in the gaps with some conversation and dramatizing it. We're talking about something that just happened four or five, six years ago. You know, these conversations are fresh in some people's memory. So oh, absolutely. And especially because the 9-11 Commission pulled out a lot of facts and they're going against some of these facts. I don't know. I think it's irresponsible for ABC to be throwing that stuff out like that. And it's interesting because a year or two ago, one of the networks was going to air a show on the Reagan legacy and the history of Reagan. And that was actually full of truths, which is the great irony. And a bunch of the, you know, pro-Reagan, neocon, neoconservative hawks, you know, rallied up some big letter-writing campaign, and they got the show taken off the air. And here's one that's just riddled with fictions, and it's probably going to go on the air. I mean, from what it sounds like, it looks like ABC is actually going to air that. It's airing tomorrow. Well, yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it aired yesterday. Yeah, it's actually a two-part miniseries, uh, Sunday the 10th and, and Monday the 11th. So, Well, I won't be watching. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be watching it because I, I said this before on the show. I've got all this stuff fresh in my memory about the actual events that I I was witnessing on television. They were they were playing out, and I don't want that tainted by some dramatization of it. And uh, the thing that kind of I'm, I'm sort of torn on this one. CNN on Monday is going to be airing essentially uncut and uninterrupted. All of the footage that they aired on September 11th, they're just going to be replaying it so that people can live through that day all over again mm. by watching CNN. I couldn't do that. I'm sorry, but I, I just could not live through that. I couldn't sit in front of the television and, and watch all that stuff happening again. Yeah, I, I don't need to see it again. That's torture. Yeah, exactly. I, I really don't need to see it again. We all know what happened. I think what we need now is context. You know, we're five mm-hmm. years away from the event. We need context. I mean, I, I kind of want to... Don't want to delve too deeply into that, but 9-11 was something that the CIA calls blowback, which is uh, an act being perpetrated against the U.S. for which U.S. citizens have no context. And the reality is that the CIA plays all sorts of evil games and, and U.S. general U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East because you know what they have there. They got a lot of oil and we got a lot of gas hungry vehicles in this country and we need it. And just like the last line in the Falcon, not the Falcon and the Snowman, the... Um, what was the, the film I keep telling you you need to watch? Now I can't remember. The 
Three days of Condor. Condor. Yeah. There's some very, very, very uh, future-looking lines in there that kind of uh, predict where we're at now, actually. And it was uh, a film made 30 years ago. Well, as long as we're on the topic of politics, let's see. John Bolton, nominee for uh, U.S. Ambassador to the U.N., nomination on hold. Apparently, Senator Lincoln D. Chaffee. Boy, that's a great political name, isn't it? It sounds like he's like 18th generation or something, politics. Yeah, and he lives on a plantation. <laughs> He has a bow tie. You oh, know, Lincoln. One of those type things. I do declare. Well, apparently the Bolton nomination is on hold because they want Mr. Bush to answer some questions regarding his Mideast policy, which is basically just a bunch of lies <laughs> based on a bunch of untruths, fictions, whatever you want to call them. And I think this is sort of interesting, you know, because the Senate uh, nomination committee that allowed his Supreme Court picks to go through, you know, they sort of sailed through. But I sort of see the the guy, the U.N. ambassador, to be more of a figurehead. I mean, the guy might be a jerk, but he's still doing what the administration wants. What's the difference if he's – what his his own personal political beliefs are because he's going to do what his boss tells him to do, and that's uh, Dick Cheney. <laughs> yeah, and, and I'm – something you said earlier about uh, the Mideast policy being based on lies, I'm I'm thinking it's less sinister. I just think it's incompetence. I just think that there's there's really, really not a whole lot of planning. I I just think that people are piecing together the the policy with duct tape, chewing gum, and string. Oh, I don't think it's that way at all. I I, I totally don't think it's that way. I mean, our policy in the Middle East since 1950 has has been very clear, and obviously we need access to oil. I mean, that's the most critical thing because we're right. the most gas hungry nation in the world. And I, I, I'm not sure. I guess, I guess we would need to hash this out a little bit more to, to, for me to understand what you, what you say when you say it's sort of duct taped together. But I mean, we have an agenda clearly. Well, well, what I'm saying is that it's just hold it together. I mean, I hate to use the, the, the phrase stay the course, but that's just it. I mean, <laughs> don't use that phrase. Okay. I'm going to say it again. It's, it's essentially stay the course and just keep holding on by our fingernails until something really bad happens. It's not. And then make excuses for it. You yeah. know what I mean? It, this and isn't and a that's policy, what blowback is. This isn't a policy that's necessarily conceived of within this administration and put together and changing with any times. This is a policy that's just trying to maintain what we currently have or had for 35, 40 years and continuing with it. Maybe. I see. But this administration is so linked to big oil and whatnot. I think they've they've sort of they've sort of refined and reduced the foreign policy to be a little bit more focused towards oil and, and you know, of course, making Halliburton more wealthy as well. They've been in the news a lot lately, too. So let's see. Bolton nomination on hold. I don't see it as a big thing. What was the latest? Uh, what else have the uh, the, the uh, wonderful people in the Bush administration done in the last few weeks? Oh, yeah. Anybody who is a war dissenter is pro-Nazi. That's the other big news. Oh, yeah. Had, uh, big Don Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld coming out and saying that. And, of course, I don't even know what to say about that because it's just so ridiculous. And the first thought that I had, and I'm just going to come out and say it, okay? I'm just going to say it. The first thought that I had when I heard that, you know, uh, anybody who is against our policy is pro-Nazi. And I was thinking to myself, let's see, the guys who are running our country right now are the fascists. So if we're... Giving into them would be giving in the Nazis, as far as I'm concerned, not opposing them. I don't know. And well, it, that's the thing. I mean, I, we talked about this when you mentioned this topic to me before. I'm thinking nobody can make that statement without without making someone tremble in their boots because nobody's going to say, "Yeah, I'm pro-Nazi." Nobody's going to well, say, "I'm against this policy." It's one of those things where you you say, "Well, 
do you beat your wife or do you? Uh, yeah. Are you pro wife beating or aren't you, man? I know. I mean, it's it, how do you, there's no right answer to that. But well, it's hit, propaganda. It's pure. definitely it's definitely propaganda. But but history is the only way that we can tell what the right thing is by invoking this this analogy to Chamberlain and uh, Churchill before World War II really broke out and hit the U.S. shores, so to speak. I think that that you can't do this within within the the I guess the the period of time that we're actually fighting the war. I think it's much simpler than that. It was a rule that came out on the Usenet years ago. Anytime you've invoked Hitler, the threat is officially dead. <laughs> I mean, clearly, I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a sociology professor at SUNY, and his name is Ken, and he goes to all the the Friday night movies that I go to and the salon that I attend as well, and he sees it as the desperate act of an administration that's just plummeting in, uh, you know, approval ratings. And and while I actually agree with that, one hundred percent. What bothers me about it is it doesn't matter. They can do what they want. They're a lame duck presidency, and and they've already done enough damage, like with Supreme Court nominations and anything else. They're having the last laugh. They can say and do what they want in their last few years, you know? Well, but it it, it is one of those things where it's sort of, again, staying the course for them because from the very beginning, anyone who, who was against the, the the movement into Iraq was called anti-patriotic. That's a movement? That's a movement. But still, I mean, the the war in Iraq, before we were ramping up to that, people who were dissenting were called anti-patriotic. Or, yeah, or, well, it's... Well, I said this on a previous show. Mm-hmm. It's like this administration is using 1984 as a handbook on how to approach the way they interact with the normal populace of the country. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. not the Ministry of... Uh, Disinformation. Yeah, you know, it's a it's a ministry of disinformation. What were the classic things that were used in 1984? Well, the, it was uh, double speak. Yeah, well, yeah, they're just they're just so good at double speak, and the uh, the very com- compliant, complacent media just latches right onto it and repeats everything they say as as gospel. Yeah, I don't I don't necessarily think that that they're repeating it. I think that that they're just being lazy because they're not. I mean, well, we well, do what's know- the difference? Why they're still you know repeating it? They're not digging in and investigating. You know, the only time typically is Ch- when Chomsky does media analysis, he finds that the only time the media is critical of the government is when approval ratings fall. And I find it's pretty interesting because that model seems to hold up to be true all the time. And right now, there's a guy on MSNBC named Keith Olbermann who's being very, very critical of Bush. I mean, he's doing these little. Um, editorials where he's, you mm-hmm. know, really calling Bush out on a bunch of issues lately. And the, let's see, when Phil Donahue did that a year and a half ago, he was asked to leave because approval ratings were much higher then. I don't know. Well, you know. Then, or maybe I'm crazy. Well, there's that. But then three journalists just were fired from the Miami Herald. Did you hear about this? I sure didn't. Three journalists fired from the Miami Herald. Why? Because, Why? Because they found out that they were being paid to publish stories that the administration gave them. Well, it's interesting because I've heard a bunch of things that are far more insidious than that. I've heard stories about, um, and uh, of course everyone out there who's a, a slightly conservative man is going to call me crazy, but I've seen stories that uh, real investigative journalists have done who talk about the fact that this administration and previous administrations have direct access to the newswire and can just release propaganda and fictitious articles under some whatever byline onto the newswire, the AP newswire, and just generate you know any propaganda they want. So I haven't heard that. I have heard that that a lot of the AP news authors 
they they take a lot of the stuff from the administration and I, th- I can't remember what these things are called they've got a name but they're essentially infomercials video clips those yeah, kinds of things they're doing a lot of that and then they send them right to the ap and and uh the other news services like reuters and they'll they'll take these things and if if you've got an editor who's lazy again it's i don't think that there's anything that's really sinister about it i think it's just pure laziness they're taking these things as fact piecing them together and then putting them out there as if these things are, are true. Well, it the, was only, a f- what was it, about a year ago where the we learned that this administration had a guy on their payroll who was actually in the crowd at uh, various presidential uh, Q&A sessions, and, you know, Bush would just pick him, and they knew he was just going to throw softball questions, you know? Well, yeah. And- Mr. President, isn't it true that you love children who don't kick puppies and aren't pro-wife beating? Yeah, those techniques, I think, they're practiced by all parties. Well, I'm not so sure. I mean, that was the first time I remember so blatant, uh, uh, you know, an, an example being being brought out. You know, I mean, well, that's the thing that's concerning me is is, is not so much about those softball questions because that's going to happen all the time. You you go to a, a rally with a whole bunch of Marines and, and then you have the sergeant asking questions. Well, like, that's fine, but I'm talking about. In the White House press I, room, I know. where they're supposed to be journalists doing their job. Well, I know, but what I'm saying is that's been going on for a long time. I, I have no Not doubt. Not so flagrantly, though. I, the thing that I'm more concerned about are the things like the New York Times, like, what's her name, Judith Miller, getting paid to publish stories. You've got the Miami Herald, people getting paid to publish stories. Well, but that's in, what in this the... guy was. He was on the payroll. He was getting paid to publish a story, but he was in the place, you know. The main room that gives you access to the President of the United States is that briefing room in the White House, you know? Yeah, but they can put whoever they want in there. Well, they can, and clearly we know from Bush's father that he used to get the questions in advance. I recall that during the first Bush administration, and I'm sure this president's no different. Mr. President, can you recite pie? (laughs) (laughs) To at least one place? Four? (laughs) Let me start with 3.1415. I would actually, that would be a fun question, wouldn't it? Ask Mr. Bush to recite pie to as many places as he can. And he'd go, well, I like pumpkin pie. As a matter of fact, I can. I like that rhubarb pie. I'm going to go clear some brush. We get the president. No, we don't because I don't really like the guy. Not all that much. Okay, what's the other big thing on the docket? Let's see. Senate Intelligence Committee finds no link between Iraq and 9-11. Hmm. Now it's official, though, because the Senate hath declared it so. Of course, anybody who's read or viewed something other than the Fox TV network has known this to be true for five years now. But uh, it's been declared to be true by a Senate Intelligence Committee. So how about that, Buckwheat? I don't know. It's kind of like the Senate coming out and saying, well, we have Water just, is wet. We have just declared that macaroni and cheese does contain cheese. <laughs> Galoo. And we've passed a resolution. To that you know, effect. I mean, this is great news, but if nobody pays attention to it or the administration puts out a bunch of propaganda, they'll find some way to... What was the latest piece of propaganda? That, in fact, Iraq did have WMD, but the Russians smuggled it out or something before the war? It was some crazy story. I mean, they're really reaching at this point, you know, for excuses to justify their uh, war crimes. Yeah, they had WMDs. They just ate them. <laughs> 
they they saw us coming and they they uh, they flushed him down the toilet. <laughs> they did. They threw him out of the car into the you know as they were speeding down the highway on one of those cops shows where, <laughs> you know, you've got the dash mounted camera in the trooper car and you could just see bare fifty five gallon drums of you know chemical weapons being thrown out the side of the car. Dude, America's coming. Get rid of the stuff. <laughs> Flush it down the toilet. Anyways. So there you go. The news in a nutshell from the bloodthirsty vegetarians. Well, I hope you have a a uh, solemn September 11th and, and think about what it really means, not what's happened since. Or what certain people, you know, would have you believe it means. So we got a tune. Yeah, we do. Let's kill this. Yeah, let's let's do uh let's go right into the tune. This one is uh actually a really cool piece of music by a stickist. Chapman stick player that a stick of fire? Yep, Emmett Chapman hooked me up with. He's a guy from Argentina. His name is Guillermo Cides. And he did a tune that's very uh, reminiscent of Bach, and I think he calls it Contrapuntus Bach, sort of like Bach counterpoint. And uh, mm-hmm. so what you're going to do is you're going to recognize uh, a very Bach-like piece of music played on the stick, and uh, let's check it out.
cool. It was very Bach-like, don't you think? Bach-esque. Wow. Uh, let's see. What do we got? What do we got? What do we got? We got wine. What are I, we drinking today, anyway? I did say I was going to mention it. This is uh, Punter's Corner, Kunawara, Triple Crown, 2001. Uh, this is from Australia, I, I think it is. Yeah. That one actually has a cork, if I'm not mistaken. It's it's cork. We've, we've uh, broken from the screw cap fetish. Uh, it's a blend. Cab, Shiraz, Merlot. It's pretty good. I'm, I'm liking that a lot. Mm-hmm. Quick few words about a film I saw at the Muds and Williams Proctor Arts Institute on Friday night. A film called Kinky Boots. If imagine if is he funk bassist? Yeah, yeah. Actually, he is. He's funny sunglasses. Imagine if Willy Wonka met the full Monty. <laughs> you would get Kinky Boots. That's pretty disturbing, man. <laughs> I don't think so. What's this film about? It's about a family-owned shoe factory that's been building. Wonderfully handcrafted men's footwear, quote, patron saint of quality footwear, wonderful men's footwear for four generations. And the the latest progeny, a uh, a person named Charlie Price, it's the Price Shoe Factory. I thought you were going to say Charlie Bucket. No, it's not Charlie Bucket, but it is a Charlie. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't really have much interest in the family business. He kind of wants to go do his own thing. And then his father dies. So he feels a responsibility to take over the factory and start making shoes. And the one thing he discovers immediately is that the big contract they've been working on for you know the XYZ store chain throughout England uh, is nearly done. They're nearly done with the contract. But the company... Filed for bankruptcy, so they have all these shoes. Yeah, they have all these shoes and nowhere to put them. So suddenly they're in a monetary crunch, and they he has to lay off a bunch of people. And he's the the way they cut the movie was you see him like twenty times in a row going, "What can I do? I'm sorry, gotta let you go." And finally, one of the sort of perky, uh, cute women who works for him says, "Well, what do you mean? What you can? Let's change the product line. Let's make something else. You know, Mm -hmm. let's stay in business." And uh, earlier in the film, he had met a sort of cross-dressing transvestite type, type guy, played by the actor Chuaitel Eljafor. Say that ten times fast. Well, you might know him. He was in Serenity. Was he? African-American guy, British accent. Yeah, that's his name? Yeah, Chuaitel wow. Eljafor. <laughs> he was good in that. Yeah, he's actually great in this, too. And uh, Charlie Price is played by Joel Edgerton, or Edgerton, depending on how you want to pronounce it. And the uh, Chuaitel Eljafor plays a man named Lola. <laughs> and the kinks have nothing to do with this, except in the name. Was he a showgirl? He was a showgirl. And he sort of runs and or dances and choreographs at a club for cross-dressing transvestite transgenderish type people or people who haven't decided on what gender they are. And his biggest complaint in the world is that he can't find high-heeled boots, and I'm talking about thigh highs. (laughs) (laughs) He can't find boots. Would you call these boots kinky boots? Well, someone did anyway, you know. He can't find any of these boots with heels that are strong enough to support his weight because, after all, he is a man. He keeps breaking his boots. So... So it's bing, a, bing, bing, bing. It's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. Very Shakespearean. And uh, a light goes off in Charlie Price's head saying, well, geez, if we're going to retool the line, why don't we make high fashion boots for men? <laughs> yeah. Made out of chocolate? 
No, they're not out of oh. chocolate. The only uh, Willy Wonka reference I'm I'm making is that it takes place in a factory, and uh, it's it's a very sort of cheeky film, and that's kind of why very misleading. I'm... I would have gone into this thinking there were Oompa Loompas in it. Yeah, or something. no, there are. Well, there are. Okay. There's a very short British guy in there, and oh. uh, and the the whole the cheekiness of the humor is kind of where I'm going with the full Monty. So the film kind of leads us on this journey of the factory retooling and making these really crazy thigh high boots from transvestites and male cross dressers in there. They're quite fashionable. They're, you know, bold lipstick, Ferrari red and British flags on them. I don't recall. At yeah. least perhaps on the box, the Price and Sons since 1895, you know, gold sort of printing on the box. Very, very classic. And one thing he needs to do to launch the line is go to Milan to the biggest shoe show in the world. And he does. It's you know he gets like he rents fifteen minutes or something like that on the main catwalk in Milan for twenty thousand pounds or some ridiculous amount of money. He had to put a second mortgage on his house to get the money. And the whole plan was that Lola and uh, his slash her cross dressing uh, sort of uh, brigade were going to come out and be the runway models. And a bunch of things happened, and you weren't sure if that was going to happen. Uh, he actually offended the Lola character, and we weren't sure if they were going to make their appearance on the runway. So Charlie has to wear the boots and sort of do the initial runway walk. And, of course, it's quite embarrassing, and he trips over the heels. And But then, of course, Lola does appear with the uh, burlesque show, if you will, <laughs> that uh, normally appears at her club. And they put on a runway show that was absolutely fabulous. You know, I can't see why everyone in Milan wouldn't have found that tame by some fashion standards. And it would have been all the rage, I imagine, in all of the uh, footwear magazines. Because, I mean, I work at a company where we go to trade shows, not unlike that shoe trade show, except we don't go to footwear trade shows. We go to <laughs> audio, kind of audio trade shows. And there aren't really catwalks, but there are venues to show your wares. And, you know, it sort of brought me back to going to the NAMM show, seeing that that big sort of trade show extravaganza and all the parties you get to go to afterwards. And uh, I could definitely see this show being uh, all the rage for the uh, Milan press. And uh, they don't really talk about whether or not that did save the company, but we have to assume it did. But anyway, this film was a lot of fun, you know, very much like the Full Monty. If you like the Full Monty, you're definitely going to like this film. And what I absolutely loved about the film is the Lola character, whose whose given name at birth was Simon, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor. You know, it doesn't really play into those dumb stereotypes that we see in typical movies with transvestites or cross-dressing. I mean, this was a real person, and it was played like a real person, somebody you could relate to. It just wasn't somebody who was so far out there that you couldn't relate to him at all, and you could really connect with them. And I, I thought it was a nice piece of work. I, I definitely would recommend it. No chocolate still? No, there was definitely not any chocolate. Well, it all does come back to Heidi Klum then. I mean, we got out of fashion and we're back into fashion in this, in this last segment. It's amazing. Well, there you go. We've wrapped it up. It's like a little circle. It is. We've come full circle. And now we're out. <laughs> and that's the end. And there it is. Another episode of Bloodthirsty Vegetarians for your viewing pleasure. In the can, as they say. <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> but that might be what Lola says, actually, in this film. I don't hey, know. Hey, watch it. This is a family show. This is a G-rated show. Anyway, you've been listening to Bloodthirsty Vegetarians, and uh, I'm Rich Wilgus. And I'm still John. And uh, we never mention our names anymore. No. Check us out on the web, www.bloodyveg.com. Send us feedback to the amazing feedback at bloodyveg.com. Careful, because that might go to, like, 
the guys from Marvel Comics or something. Oh, that's right. I might get sued by using the word amazing in or front feedback, of Or feedback. Yeah, you know? it's true. Check out the forum. It's bloodyveg.com slash forum. All kinds of interesting discussions kind of going on there. Some recipes in there, too. Yeah, some uh, hummus recipes. Check that out. And remember, you're listening to VIB. Yeah. <laughs>